Hello again, thanks for listening today. This is Stepping Into Freedom, a podcast about standing fast in the liberty wherewith we have been made free from Alma 5840 in the Book of Mormon. Today is episode 38 with uh, Michelle McDermott uh, talking about family. Uh, Shelley is the author of Finding Peace When the Devil Visits and several other books. Um, but our conversation tonight centered, will be centered around strengthening families in a world that resists and pulls against the proclamation to the family, which was is- issued by leaders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in 1995. Um, her book is a memoir starting at the age of 16 and facing extreme adversity with several family members committing suicide in a short period of time. And the family would never be united again. And although it is a story of tragedy, it's also a story of triumph and how living the principles of the gospel allowed Michelle to rebuild her life, uh, raise a family with seven children in the safety net of the gospel, and enjoy peace of living a covenant life. Really appreciate you being on with us today, Michelle. Thank you, Paul. It's really good to talk with you. Cool stuff. So, um, do you want to, I guess, give a little bit of background of um, why you picked uh, kind of the family topic and maybe in connection with a little bit what you do with your uh, site on No Fear Preps? Um, I went more with the family topic rather than the end times just simply um, because if you gave me a list to choose from. <laughs> and uh, that one's near and dear to me as well because before I, long before I got into the prepper movement or the end times, um, uh, study, I had uh, already written a book um, with the tragedy that had happened in my family's life, as you uh, already stated. Um, at the age of 16, um, it, it kind of went downhill from there with coming home to um, my mother being in the hospital from a suicide attempt, but then shortly thereafter, her getting out, my father did take his life. Um, and that just started the ball rolling, and at that point we started getting separated as a family. But uh, and part of the other reason in writing the book was um, at the age of eight, uh, the Lord started giving me dreams and visions um, of the future. A lot of it was symbolic, but uh, it really helped me to see that he was very active in my life, didn't know what was going on, and wanted me to know later as those things started to come to fruition that he was very much uh, aware of these things. So that gave me great strength. It also introduced me to uh, my spiritual gift, which um, also plays um, later when I um, become involved with the prepper movement and the dreams and visions um, part of it because I myself have had those dreams and visions. And so, uh, but this book is also um, twofold. I wanted to put it into history um, for my family so that they would know um, uh, what I've come through, not being born into um, a strong LDS family, but it was through the gospel that I was able to pull out of that and to um, repair what I could for the future. Wow. That is just so cool. So you and uh, uh, last guest, David Warwick, you guys got quite a bit in common. I, lo- I love that. You know, say that again, Paul. I, I did not pick up that. Sorry, you were so, so I was just saying that uh, I love how much uh, you and uh, the last guest, David Warwick, have in common. That's pretty cool. I, I, tr- I truly believe I had heard once, I think it was Winston Churchill, who had said um, that people who... Uh, Totally. I, from what the little bit you've heard from uh, Lorraine and I, I think you know we, and I think you know we can totally relate to that same exact thing. It's like he he takes the trials and he's like, well, yes, um, this can serve you very well, and I'm going to show you how I can turn it around to be good for you and for other people if you choose, right? So. Right. 
It's funny that you mentioned the uh, the Book of Mormon there too, because uh, to whoever's listening out there, if any of you know, um, I just posted this actually on Facebook today. Any of you know somebody, uh, professor, scholar, whatever, um, who is not two people I have already asked about this already, Mike Stroud and one of my aunts about a, an episode regarding the Book of Mormon. Have them talk to me because I'm looking to plan a special one about that. Side note there, but. Um, you know, Mike Stroud in, in Chapter 13, or Podcast 13, is just a phenomenal example of the atonement, what this man has been through, the lives that he has lost, the children that he has lost. He, too, has been touched by suicide in their family. And here's someone just like the prophet Lehi, you know, raising sons, and you can get some that will... Um, you know, take it and run with it, and you'll get some who will rebel all the way. And um, uh, so, but at the same time, uh, Mike did the best he could under his circumstances, and he's still to this very day, even though he's um, uh, going through some um, extreme adversity now, he's still um, very powerful in his testimony. Yeah. Well, like you said, hard things either break you or they will just make your testimony just a whopper, right? So. Yep, yep. I remember one time uh, teaching in Gospel Doctrine, and it said that um, how you can tell the difference between the righteous and the wicked was when adversity hits, the righteous will get closer to God, and the wicked will raise their fist at God and curse Him. And I thought, <laughs> okay, <laughs> now I know which side of the line I'm on. <laughs> oh, man. Totally, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Well, um... Again, to the first question I wanted to ask you, um, with you know, with all the you know the chaos and stuff between on, on both sides of the fence, I guess, right? Um, so one yeah. of the things that prophets have warned us about in the family proclamation uh, is how abandoning the values they encourage um, to, to to create healthy families um, will only cause calamity throughout the world. And I think it's safe to say that it's also caused um, a lot of like just this mind-numbing stagnancy and apathy towards the nuclear family. So how has setting apart that deliberate time to strengthen those familial bonds um, helped to protect your family against um, some of those debilitating forces sweeping across the globe for decades now? Well, history will teach us a lot. Um, for the first 5,000 years, the um, family has always been the nuclear unit of any civilization. Very seldom did you find the disruption of that nucleus like we do today. But then again, we were warned about this um, in the last days. What I find interesting is, is I know people that are non-members, they, they, they've been raised in a different set of values. They've been raised um, by a different voice, honestly, through media and, and so forth. So... It's, I don't, they, they don't tend to bother me or um, I just hope and pray that, you know, they can have the same opportunity to learn. But then you get those voices within the church that want to be critical of this, and that really surprises me because part of the reason this church exists is not only are we a restored church, but we have a prophet 
whose main purpose and goal is to warn us. Uh, you know, warn us. And I don't know, how old were you, Paul, or am I, is that an inappropriate question? Were you in, uh, in 1995 when this proclamation first came out? Um, let's see here. I would have been about nine or ten. Okay, so you were kind of young. Um, I was um, probably, <laughs> I'll stretch those numbers a little bit, but um, <laughs> let's say in my 30s, right? And I remember thinking, why in the world would they need to come out with this? This is so common, basic knowledge, you know, marriage is between a man and a woman. Gender is essential to our, you know, divine nature. Um, why would they need to do this? And sure enough, they gave the warning because now it's literally upside down on its ear. And what's even harder is when we try to teach this to others or have an opinion, boy, they're quick to persecute or shut you down. And so we have to find ways in which to um, see the necessity uh, to in which to teach, but we also need to do it the right way. One of the problems that we have today is we have, um, for instance, um, a rise in homosexuality or same-sex attraction. It is not just outside of the church, it's in the church as well. And these are our brothers, our sisters, our aunts, our um, uncles, our grandfathers, even our fathers. You see it in the news. And it's heartbreaking because it does go against all that we've learned, but yet we still need to love them, protect them, and help them, you know, with their struggles. So you have to ask yourself, you know, what is the balance? Um, years ago, when I was reading Nibley's book, um, Approaching, well, not Approaching Zion, um, uh, it's the Zion one. Approaching Zion is, uh, uh, yes, his is, uh, oh my gosh, why can't I think of his name right now? The okay. name of the book. Anyhow, Coming to Zion, Coming on to Zion, or something like that. And he says that Zion has a role to play. In order for us to have a mortal probation, uh, Babylon, I'm sorry, not Zion, Babylon has a role to play. In order for us to um, have this mortal probation, there has to be opposition in all things. And there will have to be the wickedness, and there will have to be, you know, um, the adversity and so forth. He said, but it is not our job to go into Babylon and to change them. It is our job to stand outside of Babylon and wait for them to come out and be ready for them and help them and to give them the guidance and the direction that they need um, to go towards um, uh, Zion and go towards the gospel, go towards the Savior. And I thought, you know, that's real interesting because we could really use that today because screaming, fighting, shouting, um, having 1,000 laws on the books against something does not change behavior. All it does is create more of this um, contention and and we know who the author of that is, and it also creates a lot of hurt feelings because we don't agree even on the same terminology when you get opposing sides. So you're not going to agree on ideas as well. And so as, as members of the church and as covenant members of the church, we can still follow a prophet and still wholeheartedly love and embrace our gay loved ones. There is, we should not have any struggle with that at all. Um, and yet, you know, we're seeing this happen right now. Um, when I look back in the, uh, it started in 1978, 77, uh, no, it was 78 when my dad uh, first took his life. And, uh, uh, and from there, you removed one member from this um, family unit, and then everything else started falling apart. Um, but even then, before that, they were not active members of the church. They were um, uh, still, you know, good parents, still um, raised their children um, and, and, you know, paid the bills, so to speak, put food on the table. And yet, you removed one of them, and everything else started to tumble. And the lives that my siblings lived, there was five of us. Uh, and now all but one is, they've all passed on now. And, um, uh, and with the exception of that one that just passed away in December, they all lived what I would call wretched lives, 
homelessness, never finishing um, high school or junior high, drugs, multiple children without fathers. And it was interesting to watch that pattern take place once that family unit had broken up. And so when you read the family proclamation, you can see where they even talk about that at the end, that you will be held accountable for um, uh, taking care of your families when you are, um, uh, you know, children, because it's not easy. It's not easy even in the gospel under the covenant to do this. Imagine taking away that and taking away God out of the picture. You're, you know, you're just looking at a lot of chaos and a lot of destruction. But one thing I will say is, even though the family is somewhat threatened now, especially, you know, we, you know, you can, you can get your medical bills paid for if you just get divorced, because then you were, you know, you, you're qualified now for free medical. You know, that's how bad it is, because we've got the laws in the wrong place. But on the other hand, um, if we just uh, embrace what's been going on for 5,000 years, and we saw success through all of that, that, you know, that kind of should give us a little bit of common sense what will work and what won't. Yeah, totally. Like, one of the things you said at first there, a couple of things actually that kind of like really just resonated with me. I'm glad that you mentioned them. One was, you know, the fact that you're saying, oh, well, back in 95, a lot of people were tempted to think, you know, oh, well, why do we need this? This is common sense. But then you think about it, one of prophets' roles is what? To be able to see danger in the future far, far off. And they want to make sure that these warnings are timely. Like, I think of... Um, the renovations to the Salt Lake Temple they announced in the last year, what was it, last year, I think it was, last 12 months, they did that. Um, earlier this year, I think it was, I saw that um, live Facebook video they did, kind of outlining the plans for what they wanted to do to renovate the Salt Lake Temple. And the earthquake preparations, I, I'm wondering if some people were, were thinking possibly, wait a minute, this is this is Salt Lake. This is, you know, why are we, why are we preparing for eight 9.0 earthquakes here? It's like, you know what, they see dangers, we just don't. And That's right. yeah, kind of leading into that too, what you said about um, you know learning to learning do you, do you to. Remember, sorry. Do you remember back in November of 2014, President Monson gave a speech called "Are Ye Prepared?" and he gave the analogy of the chicken ranch that he went and volunteered on, and he said that um, we have the uh, well, they started pulling up the weeds and raking them and putting them on fire, well, the fire only caused the chickens to molt and some of them died. And he said, we as the leaders are the volunteers and you and the members are the chickens. He said, we don't want to do something that will cause you to molt or to die. You know, so in other words, we're not going to come out ringing bells, warning you and scaring you, but we do want you to be prepared and we do want you to know that things are coming. And I love that because it is in direct contrast. If you go on YouTube, you can see from modern day or evangelical uh, visionaries to pastors and you name it. And when they're talking, they're just screaming and they're warning you and they're throwing scriptures at you and scaring you some more and warning you. And, and, and I just think, what is it that they really want their flock to do? Because they don't talk about what to do. They just warn of this. Well, and I think our prophets way ahead of them. Um, President Nelson has just been phenomenal. You look at what he's saying, and he's mentioned second coming, second coming, second coming. Well, anybody who's doing their reading and their research knows that there is a tribulation that comes before the second coming. Oh, so he doesn't need to yeah. say, there's a tribulation coming, please store up every needful thing. He's trying to tell us the most important thing are the spiritual things. If you'll notice that he said to take the Holy Ghost for your guide. And yet, if you go to DNC 45, 57, there's the parable of the ten virgins. And, he, and right there it says the five wise virgins took the Holy Ghost for their guide. He is telling us how to be a wise virgin. He's telling us what it's going to take to get us through this tribulation period. And, uh, and, but it, and you've got to, like, not read between the lines. You've got to let the Holy Ghost guide and direct you from your research and your study. I love this Come Follow Me program because they start right there. 
here in the New Testament where we need to develop this relationship with Christ and with the Holy Ghost so that we can hear and feel those channels of communication. And without it, we're going to feel a little bit at loss. So go back to this family proclamation. If you struggle with it, now the older folks don't struggle with it because to us, this is how we grew up and this is how the rest of the world has grown up. Mm. It's more the millennial generation who's been told, oh, you know, live and let live and, mm. and um, have compassion and let things. And yet, if you go and you let the Holy Ghost teach you, you'll know for sure without a doubt that um, gender is essential to your divine potential, that the family is the, the central, uh, you know, to his plan. And in the very end, when all is said and done, the family will go on and become a part of the celestial kingdom when mm -hmm. all this other will have passed. Oh, yeah, it yeah. It will be the last man standing, you know? It's, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we need to, you know, learn to take the Holy Ghost for our guide so that we can, hear, when we hear a prophet's voice, we respond or we uh, make sure that our testimony is in the right place. We don't have to go out on the street corner with the bullhorn. You know, <laughs> we don't even have to go and um, uh, politically try to change things because we have the ballot box. We can privately do things. We teach with love. We certainly embrace people. We don't have to confront them. Um, when they come to you, you know, just use, um, just think of yourself as the Savior's arms and hands. You know, can you can you hug them? Can you work for them? Can you serve them? Can you look past all the other? Yeah. Because as soon as you are like that, they will want to be around you more. Well, we all gravitate towards who loves us. Yeah, and it's, it's, the funny thing is when you say, you're talking about, you know, people gravitating towards, you know, those who, who show that they love them, it's, it kind of makes, leads me back to what you're talking about with, you know, loving people who may, you know, struggle with uh, things that we were warned about in the proclamation. Like, we're talking about people who struggle with same-sex attraction or things like that, right? I remember in the episode right. we had with uh, with Dennis Schleicher, he made this amazing observation. I, I, I was so happy he talked about this, where he said that, um, and for listeners tonight, go back and check it out. I highly recommend the whole thing. It's a bit lengthy, but you got to go listen to what he says. Dennis in there talked about um, the fact that when he was going to view certain um, church history sites, um, he when he first learned about oh these how the saints early saints in the 19th century were so persecuted, driven out of their homes and, and beaten and, and just horrible things, and he, he said he realized wait a minute, th th we're the same kind of people. We both have been persecuted. We both know what it's like to go through these hard things, and he found ways to say look, let's look for what we have in common. Let's look for ways to be united, and look for ways to you know like like you said kind of instead of going into Babylon and trying to pull people out. You know, give them reasons to want to be united with those who are on the right side of that proclamation. You know, and when, when, once we do that, it's like once we get to that point, it's like, wait a minute. You know, it's, I'm thinking of that quote by, um, oh, you'll have to probably, you'll probably know the author better than me. But the quote where he says, um, I'm paraphrasing, um, you don't, you know, we, we don't, we like the Savior. We don't want to try and just take the slums out of people. Um we, we, we take, yeah. like, how did he say that? I forget. Um, yes. He says, you can't, you can take the people out of the slums, but in order to take the slums out of the people, it requires the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes. Yeah. That's what you're talking that's about. Taking the slums, yeah, the slums out of people. The Holy Ghost can do that, but we have to give them reason to want it first. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. This, um, I would hate to be, uh, a youth in, in today's, but they got to remember they have been saved for this time. They can overcome all of this. Um, we do need to kind of look up a little bit. Sometimes we get so involved in raising our families, sometimes we don't look around us and see what's happening within the church. We, um, my son, when he came home from his mission, his companion um, became transgender. Um, then my daughter, she came home from her mission, and two of her companions. Uh, have now married other women, and um, and, I, and you have to ask yourself, well, uh, Carolyn Pearson wrote the book, um, Goodbye, I Love You, back in the 80s when her husband left to be um, a gay man before he died of AIDS, 
but she just recently wrote another one called um, No More Goodbyes, uh, Circling the Wagons Around Our Gay Loved Ones, and she did sort of an informal survey, and she came up after, I think, like a thousand uh, returned missionaries. Uh, she came up with 17% identified with the gay lifestyle now and have um, either left the church or, you know, identify on the other side of the equation. So we're going to have to put down our weapons of war. We really are. We're going to have to put down our harsh words. doesn't mean we don't believe the prophet. doesn't mean we don't believe in the proclamation to the family. But we do need to um, find... Uh, a channel, make a channel that when they're ready to turn around, they can come back. And guess what? If they don't turn around in this life, you know what um, Elder Maxwell said? He said the second estate, which is this mortal probation, the second estate does not end until the end of the millennium. That means they can continue on even after this life, learning about the gospel and having that chance to finally, you know, make those final decisions. And um, so we don't need pre uh, pressure and make it as if this is the end of the world. I've got to change my son, my daughter, my neighbor. You know, we just need to embrace and love and help them um, find Christ on their level. Oh, man, yes. Level. Amen to that, too. Like It's it, it, a prime example of how, how much good that very thing can do. Going back to Dennis again is, like, if you look at him, all he said, all, you know, these, these people who send him hate mail, he said and stuff, oh, they're going to brainwash you and they're going to have you, you know, going through conversion therapy and all this stuff. And he's like, no, they're just loving me. And that's what attracts people to the gospel, no matter what they struggle with, whether it's same-sex attraction or addiction or whatever else, you know, that's what's going to attract people to the gospel. Absolutely. That is, you know, and, and here's another good point. You know, that may be their burden to bear. That may be what they were given in the pre-existence to be a struggle with here. And I know people say, oh, the Lord wouldn't do that. But he knows us. He knows us better than anything. Some of his finest, some of his disciples have made these decisions now. And we need to learn to just love them anyhow. We need to look past all of that. It's not for us to change this. It's yeah, make, make, make them feel kind of like Make them feel like family, too, you know? Exactly. We need to treat them even better than we probably would have. And um, and just let them know we're the source of love. One of the statistics I read, too, was that Salt Lake City is the second largest enclave for homosexuals outside of San Francisco. You have to ask yourself why. I believe you know, that. Because they feel, they feel loved here. They feel safe. We're not trying to burn them at a stake. We're trying to, um, you know, send a message loud and clear, hey, we still recognize you as the child of Heavenly Father. And uh, and, that's, and that's kind of my message would be, um, even with my own siblings um, and what they've been through and the, the way their lives turned out, even with um, loved ones around me, I actually had a nephew who died of AIDS in, in the 80s. I'm sorry, it was a cousin, not a nephew. And, um, uh, and at first, I just remember being really shocked that that was the first time I think I even knew somebody who was gay. But then when I found out his background and the abuse that he took as a young child, it was no surprise to me that he, you know, went into that direction. And that's, but that's not everyone's story. That, you know, it, it could be completely other reasons why they've, you know, chosen these paths. But it's not for us to get in their way. It really isn't. It, it is that they are the Lord's children still. And, um, and Heavenly Father will be the one that um, takes it from there. So we need to let it go. Absolutely. Especially we're struggling with the loved one. But, you know, back to what I was talking about, how um, you can hear all the, the pounding um, on YouTube and being fearful of the future. Uh, maybe we should just kind of flip this for a minute and, um, and talk about the things that we can do in our own lives yeah. that will well, strengthen it's, us. It's interesting that you... Coming. It's interesting, sorry, it's interesting that you say that, too, because uh, um, the the last, one of the questions I actually wanted to ask you, too, was, you know, talk, if you could talk about, you know, some of the key positive memories you have made, but which have had a significant impact on the strength of your relationship with your family members and why they had such an impact. Um, you're in, in fact, I talk about this in the book. Um, the first thing you have to do is get yourself out of the toxic environment. You can still love uh, family members, but if they're toxic in your life, you need to pull away. 
And the first thing I did was shield my children from those other people um, who could possibly have that negative influence on them. The second thing was to um, believe in a God that can create miracles because, honestly, we all need miracles. We really do. We all need miracles to, um, to get us through some really, really tough times. And if we don't believe in a God that can create them, then we, we're not going to get the miracle. So, you know, basically developing that faith. Um, with my own family, with the seven children, boy, we were lockstep. I mean, we did the family home evening. We did the family scripture study. We did the family prayer. Um, I stayed home. Uh, it, you know, and after the first couple of years, I taught high school while my husband was still getting his master's degree. But after that, I stayed home right up until the last one was born. And then after that, I started a business that I could work from home. And, um, and it was amazing because that was a miracle in and of itself right there. It really um, freed us from a lot of my concerns about having a large family with weddings and missions and college, but no money. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, the Lord just stepped right in and said, here you go. And where most businesses, eight out of ten fail, this one didn't. And so to this very day, I, I totally get how he works with us. I totally get that um, it's the desires of our heart that he blesses us with, and um, if we will be but obedient. And because um, uh, it was a hard thing in the 80s, that was kind of the first rush for women to stop having big families and um, go to work. And that, that was the first um, thing that you could start to see the changes in the school, changes in society. And, um, and it's not bad that, you know, women want to have a job or a career or go to work, and sometimes they need to. But as uh, President Hinckley said, it, it should be saved for those rare times. In fact, I think it's in the Family Proclamation, too, where he talks about... Adopting. ...the women, you know, being accountable for certain things and the men being accountable for certain things. And I just believe that when we choose to go ahead and be obedient, even if we can't see later what the blessing will be, um, that blessing will be there. And I have that, that testimony that it will be there because um, that business that I started should not have taken off like it did. It should not have brought the type of wealth that it did. And yet, um, it, it totally took care of all those concerns. And then eventually, um, I had come down sick with a really nasty autoimmune. And even when I had to back off um, uh, for quite a few years, it still had a, a pretty strong trickle to it. And I thank the Lord to this very day for that sense of security that he gave me. And it took care of all those things that I was worried about. Totally. It's, it's, when you talk about you know establishing righteous, righteous habits and things like that, learning to follow the Spirit, um, reminds me, of, if I may for a second, um, it... Uh, and I've, I think I've mentioned this story before to a few people, but and the funny thing is my mom, she, did, she didn't know until later in her life how much of an effect she had on me growing up. Um, I remember one time specifically, you're talking about you know establishing a solid foundation. Um, she, it was one day where she had told my dad, you know, Kevin, we, we haven't, do you realize we haven't read scriptures together? Something so simple, you know, that what most people would think of as simple, right? Um... And she said, you know, we haven't read scriptures as a family in three days. And now, now my mom was the usually the level-headed one, right? She wasn't the one to panic about anything that I ever saw growing up. Um, anytime that happened was not in any place where I, I could tell what was going on. So, you know, I've seen this and my, my kid brain, I'm like, wait a minute. Mom's panicking about this. This is not normal. Like, okay, this, I never forgot that. And then, you know, years later... That never left me. I, it just kind of stuck in my head, in my heart. I'm like, okay, this is like scriptures. Daily study is really, really that important. And it never left me. And I asked her years later. You know, I said, Mom, do you remember this? She goes, No, I have no recollection of that whatsoever. So you know, the little things, you, sometimes those little moments that seem fleeting to you, they, they matter. They really matter. At keeping the family glued together. I truly believe that. I can remember at times in the most benign, innocent conversations with my children, often it was one-on-one -on -one in the car going somewhere, and the Holy Ghost would witness to me that what I, what I was telling them would stay with them throughout their lives. And so we absolutely need to um, just, even 
even if we don't know how to do it, even if we struggle ourselves with understanding the scriptures, we should still open them up and still find a way in which to read them, share them with each other, and learn from them. This Come Follow Me program is just phenomenal for that. Um, I, you know, I would push that before I push, you know, any of the other great and wonderful books that are out there because it really is a good starting point. But I also believe that because the prophets, the prophet and the apostles have come out with this, that there's more behind it than just study, that there's a, prom a promise and a blessing that always comes with this. And it, when we follow that, we are given that protection that we need. It's sort of like the lamp's blood over the doorway. You know, it, it was it, it protected them from the um, angel of death. And maybe that's our lamb's blood. Maybe that's what's going to save us and help us in the coming days when there's some, you know, stuff that's out there. Mm -hmm. But the only way we're going to know is if we literally listen intently, word for word, what the prophet's telling us. And right now he has told us to take the Holy Ghost for our guide. And he's also told us that persecution is coming and we need to protect our families. And um, some of the things that I have found, you know, in addition to the family home meeting and so forth, um, I've noticed that there is an increase in the world of evilness and wickedness. And, um, and I, I lean back on what I've learned in the temple about um, casting out those evil influences. So if we can remember to do that, whether it's in our prayers asking the Lord to do so or um, in our minds, but um, I think there are some things that are um, weighing heavy on us. And um, I can say from a personal experience that for the first time in my life, I got rid of um, some of that discouragement, despair, or depression, or whatever you want to call it after um, extreme adversity, because I would cast out, and all of a sudden, I couldn't even have those, those thoughts across my mind anymore. So that would be the first thing, is learning how to do that. The second thing that I would encourage people to do is put it on the altar. What that means is, is Whatever the problem is, even the small things, even if you go to church and you've been offended, you, you immediately put it on the altar. You just ask the Lord to take it from you. Don't spend another second, another minute, another day hurt, angry, upset, hanging on to things, even if it's the worst offense that could have happened to anyone. As long as we're wallowing around in that hurt and pain, we are missing out on what the Lord's mission, you know, for us is, and we need to just let go of those things, and we mm -hmm. need to allow for his light to fully come into us and help guide and direct us for what's ahead. Oh, totally. Because, yeah, and, and so often we do, we tend to, and I talk about this a little bit in that first book because of my, my mother um, being the root cause of a lot of the things that happened, and when she died, I thought I'd been forgiving her all up until that moment until she died, and then all, everything I just swept under the rug just came up like a volcano, and I realized this was something that I could not personally do. This was something I had to give to the Lord because it just kept coming at me a week later, a month later, three months later, and, um, and I realized I need to put this on the altar. I need to ask for the Lord to take this from me, and ever since then, I learned a very valuable lesson. Don't let it build up. Just get rid of it that day that moment and then you can go on and just free yourself from all of this mm -hmm. um that that you've even forgotten about but you still feel it because you're not allowing yourself to be free yeah. from it and it's just yeah it's all, and, it's all a matter of just healing through it you know and so if i if i may for a second too what you said there I, before i want to mention this before i forget it too um a couple of things one is you reminded me of one of my favorite songs actually by switchfoot uh as weird as that may be to some people uh, there's a song there's called um, Strength to Let Go, and, you know, that's what it is. You know, it's, it, it, sometimes it takes that strength to just let it go. Do not let yourself be pulled down by that stuff. And the other thing that kind of leads my mind to as well is, um, and this, I've kind of studied this article in, in blogs and other podcast episodes, I think, as well, is um, an article I wrote for LDS Blogs that's titled, The Wound is the Place Where the Light Enters You. And similar to what you said about putting it on the altar, right? Letting the Lord take it. When you show him, I have found too, when we show him those open wounds and say, hey, this hurts, Heavenly Father, um, we expose that wound to him. 
and we just let him heal it instead of holding on to, oh, that's, no, that stings too much. Well, if, if you just let him heal it, let him take it from you, don't hold on to that you know, negativity anymore. That's where the real healing comes from. And then we can use that, that wholeness to heal our families and strengthen them in turn. So. There's nothing on this earth that can heal us like the atonement. We can hang yep. on to it. We can try to forget. We can go into hypnosis. We can, do, we can you know, self-medicate. But nothing will heal us like the atonement. And if we don't understand the power of it and how to use it, we're really missing out on the greatest gift that anyone has ever given us. And it really is a form of worship for him that we not only show gratitude, but that we use it. Many people think, oh, the atonement, that's for forgiving sin. That's one part of it. There's so much more to it. And the other being healing, especially all the injustices. And so, yes, absolutely. Um, and that would just lead me into the third thing that I would recommend is that people find time to be holy. And we've been told that by the prophet as well. Oh, I love that. Yes. You know, if we can't, we're, we're so frazzled now. And this life has sped up exponentially, even from when I was a young mother to now. Um, we rush to get to sacrament. We rush to get to soccer. We rush to get to the temple. We we never really, we're doing, we're putting ourselves in holy places, but we're not absorbing the things that we need to in those places. And so with our holy time, it can be scripture study. It can be singing. It can be going to the temple, but we need to prepare for it before we go. We need to prepare the night before the sacrament so that when we take the sacrament, we fully and, you know, engage the power behind taking that sacrament, not just taking some bread and water and giving ourselves a pat on the back that we got to church on time. You know, we need to take that time to be holy. I know that, um, that in the last few years, um, uh, that was something that became very apparent to me. And once I started to employ that particular practice, especially at, you know, 4.30 in the morning, uh, with these private prayers, because there's nobody at 4.30 in the morning that wants anything to do with you. <laughs> no going to distract you. And it's been amazing because I find myself waking up at 4.30 in the morning all on my own. I find that sometimes I'm woken up at 4.30 because the Lord wants to talk to me, and, and there's some song that's waking me up, a gentle song, but he's waking me up, and I know it's him because he has things he wants to tell me. When we put ourselves in that position to develop that kind of relationship, we will understand fully what it means to take the Holy Ghost for your guide and to open up that channel of prayer to, with the Lord so that we can get what we need to get us through this, these, these end times. Because oh my it, is out there. it really is. And even just wandering around looking at the news or hearing stories or it, it creates so much anxiety that we don't want to look at it anymore. We don't want to hear it. But if, if we're shutting that down, what are we opening up? We need to open up, you know, our temple worship, our, you know, private practice. We need to put ourselves in a place where we can hear the Holy Ghost and feel it. Yeah, totally. I mean, what you said there about prayer too, kind of leads into what, uh, a Something else here that kind of puts the, that point um, in an equally as, uh, how do I say that? Another light, I guess. <laughs> um, and this is something I just read today, actually, in uh, The Miracle of Forgiveness. And he, he kind of gives an example of, you know, what weight we are putting on making time to be holy, right? Like you said. Now he says, when we kneel in family prayer, our children at our sides, on their knees, are learning habits that will stay with them throughout all their lives. And if we do not take time for prayers, what we're actually saying to our children is, well, that isn't very important anyway. We won't worry about it. If we can do it conveniently, we will have our prayer, but if the school bus, sorry, if the school bell rings, if the bus is coming, if employment is calling, well, prayer isn't very important, then we will do it when it's convenient. He continues, unless planned for, it never seems to be convenient. On the other hand, what a joyous thing it is to establish such customs and habits in the home that when parents visit their children in, in the latter's homes after they are married, they just naturally kneel with them in the usual established manner of prayer. And I put off to the side, and I kind of wrote off underneath that. I wrote, it should be like, um, duh, of course family prayer is first priority. And thinking anything else, you know, makes me think what's the, the part of oh my, the hymn, Oh My Father, where it says the thought makes reason stare, you know. It, it should make reason stare not to do those things. 
Oh, that's, that's beautifully said. And if there's one thing I regret raising my children was that I was the same the same thing. Let's try and get this done. Let's try and get, it was the checkoff list. And I wish now we would have slowed down and really learned how to um, embrace, enjoy, and prepare for holy activities. And um, uh, because I think we need to teach our children how to feel the Holy Ghost, help them to recognize when they feel the Holy Ghost, because their their testimonies rely on it now. They absolutely, you know, we used to could slide by. Everyone in the neighborhood were good people, and we better be good people too. <laughs> but today, because of these these cell phones and these, you know, YouTube, and all, they're going to undo all that you've taught them, and you're never going to know it until the time's too late. But if you've taught them how to have holy time and how to feel the Holy Ghost, they stand a chance. Yep, and that's that's the best thing is you know, and kind of you can even go farther than that. From what I've something I've just been studying recently as well, is um, is being being getting to the point where and again this is from President Kimball, where he talks about you know getting to the point where we're not just having to or or, or maybe even becoming good at fighting against temptation, but we're getting to the point where fort we're fortifying so strongly with our families that. We don't come to the point where we have to fight against temptation because we are fighting off needing to fight against temptation. It's just it's not it's just not there if we're doing things the Lord's way. If we're you know seeking time to be holy, there's no need to fight against temptation because you're not putting yourself in a place where it can come in the first place. Exactly, and that was part of what I learned about the casting out was um, if I didn't want the temptations and I didn't want the having the feelings and the, the um, self, uh, I want to say deprecating, but self, uh, you know, talk where you're just beating up on yourself. Um, it, it's, it's Lucifer, it's Satan, his minions that are doing that to you. The Lord would never say those things to you. And it's not in your divine nature to say those things to you. And that's it. And if we can recognize that and we can cast out and we can treat ourselves better and, um, uh, and make it a point to not just go for the motions, because I know sometimes that's how um, we feel, but to um, to actually do it with a purpose and intent. We can keep that away from. If I just recently, a couple months ago, heard a quote, and it was really uh, surprising to me. It says, that, "Now someday we will walk by Lucifer and his followers, and they will have no power over us." And I thought, you know what, we can do that here. All we have to keep them away from Absolutely. And, uh, and I thought, it's not amazing that um, uh, the Lord has given us this knowledge and this information through the temple, um, but we can do that. We absolutely can do that. Totally. Wow. Well, um, I got to thank you so much for your input tonight. Um, this is going to help a lot of people. I know it. <laughs> so thanks for your time. Um, you need closing thoughts you have for our listeners tonight so they can, you know, be fortified and help protect their families? Uh, just hang on to every word right now that the prophet and his wife, Wendy, boy, she, she's saying things that he can't quite. <laughs> she's letting that out of the bag, isn't she? Um, listen to everything that they're saying and just turn your back to what's going on in the world. Absolutely. Uh, to go a different path. Just, um, know that you were born for this time, you were born to help usher in the millennium, there is a job that goes with that, but the Holy Ghost cannot reach us if we're listening and watching things that create fear and anxiety within us, because the minute we do, He can't get through us. So we need to um, stay focused on those things that we're being asked to do now, temple worship, sacrament, in fact, the prophet Jeremiah, just before Israel was destroyed, he was, they said, what can we do? You know, to um, stop this, because the only thing I can teach you now is to keep the Sabbath day holy, and um, that will bring you the protection that you need. So, you know, listen to what this prophet is saying. I can't say it enough. Listen and, and read between the lines if you have to. Ask the Holy Ghost to help you to see what it is exactly He's saying, so that you can spiritually be prepared for the onslaught. And one thing that um, uh, comes to mind is. First uh, Thessalonians 5 3, when the, the Savior's talking to his disciples, and he says that um, 
they will declare peace and safety, and then sudden destruction will come upon them. And he's talking about the end times. So right now, we're feeling this peace and safety, um, and the rest of the world seems to be so much on fire, but then sudden destruction comes. We need to be prepared for that. And I'm not talking meat and gut, I'm talking spiritually prepared so that we can hold our head up and we can follow that prophet and we can let the Lord protect us and put those angels around us and our individual lives and around our wards, our neighborhoods, and around the church as a whole. So that would just be my final, have that faith and confidence that we can look forward to well, thanks again so much, and um, I'm going to wrap up here, and I have one question for you. Okay. So thanks for listening today, everyone. In the next episode, we have Tom Obenchain talking about prayer. Tom currently lives in, uh, if I remember this correctly, in Colorado Springs and works as a consultant at Obenchain Communications. He's also the co-founder of Higher Attitudes on Facebook and is going to have a great discussion for us, so don't miss that. Um, if you have any questions about this episode or if you want to... Uh, have a certain topic discussed or anything else, please send me a message at thepostifier at gmail.com. That's in the description. Um, please, if you want to hear more of what you heard tonight uh, with other subjects, give that follow link a click on paulpostifier.podomatic.com. And uh, written reviews, by the way, are also very helpful to find others, help others find us on iTunes and Stitcher. So have a great day, everyone. And remember to stand steadfastly in the freedom God gave us. Until next time, this is Paul Pulsifer.